mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Each month, you can get a bonus episode of Off Air and hear us chat to our fellow colleagues up and down the news building in a feature we like to call Only Interviews in the Building. (laughs) It's very clever. All you have to do is to be a Times digital subscriber and have an iPhone. Uh, Recently, we talked to talk sport legend Jeff Stelling. That's enough football now, Jeff. Okay. Countdown. Let's talk yeah. countdown. What a dream job. How did you get it? How did you get it? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I got it by default. So, you know, what it's like in, in these situations. Discussions dragged on for a little while. And I was told there was another very prominent TV presenter who went for the job. Not that bloody John Inverdell again, Jeff. No, it wasn't It wasn't that bloody John Inverdell. So um, it was somebody even more high profile than that. Anyway, he went and, and he, he had, had to audition. And um, when he auditioned, he heard the, the classic signature tune. And he said, well, that'll have to go. He said, that's desperately old-fashioned. He said, we need to update that and immediately raised the hackles of every single person who'd worked on Countdown for so many years. It's not Countdown without the dully dum exactly. That's just a tiny bit of the magic that is Jeff Stelling. To access more bonus content, subscribe to The Times and start listening. It's the day after Fee's birthday, <laughs> traditionally known as Birthday Boxing Day. <laughs> How are you feeling? Well, I didn't go overboard, Jane, because no. it's, a, it's a weeknight and I've got a very, very strict... I never drink during the week and I'm always in bed by 10. So fun times, right? No, no, I think <laughs> an example to us all. <laughs> and uh, I have fallen off the not drinking during the week wagon once or twice and bitterly regretted it. Uh, so now I too reserve bevies for Thursday yeah. night. And yeah. Thursday night is uh, is joyful for oh, me. Yeah. I get two glasses down uh, wherever I am and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so you wake go. up at about 10 to 8 on Monday morning <laughs> and it's time to start all over again. Yeah. Uh, but look, thank you for, uh, uh, for your very kind and generous presence. <laughs> Uh, the late in life love treat watched the little video that was put up on Insta of opening the present while he said that's a really really typical British thing to do to put when you don't quite know what to say when you receive a present you put it on your head no, which was what you did. With what I have to say is rather a sophisticated is, no, gift. But sorry, is that one of our national characteristics? Uh, I mean if somebody gave you a slightly unwanted 
decorated tray. Would you put it on your head? Has he got a point? Well, I don't know. I've sort of got sympathy with you because I'm not I'm not actually very good with receiving gifts. I never know what to do. I never know what to say. I can't gush. So you're sort of I'm re- I'm reduced to saying thank you. <laughs> uh, which never feels enough. Um, but I'm often extremely grateful. Um, <laughs> well, just... I'm extremely grateful yes, because no, it was a no. very, very lovely beauty bag. It was yes, definitely it was. a winter beauty bag. It, well, yes, I suppose it was. I mean, it doesn't have a waterproof lining, but I'm sure nothing leaks in your beauty bag. Oh, everything leaks, love. <laughs> just in my beauty bag. But yeah, well, anyway, look, we'll, we'll put that out of to the Of which more later when we get to your emails. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, your emails are lovely, but yeah. they're also, they're, they're taking Jane and I back to some quite wince-inducing moments in our own life. Well, we've always said that um, this is the place where we can talk about everything and we are going to talk about everything and you were saying earlier that maybe we need to talk more about this sort of thing so let's get into let's get into it let's do it we should say the big guest is somebody that you've spoken to very interesting um and it's interesting for a number of reasons but it's a lot of people will recall the court case between well there are a couple of court cases one in the uk and then in america between amber heard and johnny depp and it was um notable i think because there was so much discussion about this and it's. Can you begin to explain exactly who was suing who and why? So, in brief, in this country, it was a defamation case uh, uh, brought by Johnny Depp against the Sun because an article in the Sun had uh, said that he was a wife beater. Uh, so he took the Sun to court, and the Sun won. Yeah. And in winning, they essentially had to prove uh, beyond reasonable doubt that uh, there had been domestic abuse in his relationship with Amber Heard. And I think the key thing to remember throughout all of this is that Amber Heard didn't ever want to go to court. She didn't start this. She didn't start it. Uh, But in order for the son to prove that they had not been defaming Johnny Depp, she had to give evidence. And I believe that the findings were 12 uh, examples of domestic abuse or violence within the marriage. So uh, we then go to America where Johnny Depp launches a defamation suit against Amber Heard because she had written an op-ed piece uh, in one of the papers in America uh, as a victim of domestic violence. So he sued her for $50 million. She countersued him. And that's where an awful lot of this opinion about Amber Heard comes from because the evidence that was revealed in that case may well be the stuff that you remember. It was a televised court case. Yeah. So, you know, images of her went viral. Her appearance was discussed. His appearance was discussed. Everything was discussed. But what was... What was so interesting and worrying about this was, at best, what I was hearing, and I obviously live in a bit of a silo, let's be honest, I meet people a bit like myself most of the time, I kept hearing, they're both as bad as each other. Yep. Yep, I mean, that was I'm absolutely it. with you. And, and that was the best I heard. Yep, and and people would start a conversation going, isn't Johnny Depp dreadful? But actually, she, she played a part in her oh, own sh- downfall. Isn't she annoying? So uh, uh, this is a very, very clever investigation uh, looking at how our opinions have been formed and the title of the podcast uh, by Alexi Mustros from Tortoise Media is Who Trolled Amber? So he's done this incredible investigation into whether or not there was an element of a paid-for campaign. Uh, So he visits troll farms. It's fascinating. It's all the stuff that you kind of think you know is out there and you you know that you think it's dreadful. 
But actually, when somebody details what that means to people's lives, mm. and in his investigation, he meets quite a few other people along the way, normal civilians, as Liz Hurley would call people out of the showbiz arena, whose lives have been decimated by online campaigns. Uh, I mean, I didn't know, Jane, and, and you know, forgive my naivety here, that you or I could just, uh, within two clicks... Uh, engage the services of a company that calls itself a PR company to troll each other. If we wanted to do that yeah. after a show, I could literally go click, click, and I could fill in probably a form and just go, I'd like someone to take Jane Garvey down today. I'd like 20 different tweets from, you know, 15 different accounts, and this is the kind of thing that I'd like them and to And then say. just keep it going. Yeah. yeah. And they would appear to people, you know, to just be, you know, Les from Grantham saying something, but there is no Les from Grantham. So I think it's mind-boggling, and I would urge people to listen to the podcast. Mm. It's quite hard work at times actually because it does contain particularly in the examples of normal people you know some pretty horrible stuff that's happened i think it's a good point to make because people might just hear the names depp and heard and think well actually however awful johnny depp might well have been um they're still showbiz people they're not like me but the whole point is it could happen to you and also this year if you live in the uk you've got to vote and you just need to be aware that the sort of stuff you're seeing um the sort of stuff you're reading Everything probably should be questioned, certainly in the run-up to our election. I am really quite fearful about some of the guff that's going to be bunged out in all sorts of people's names that is fake or completely artificial or generated by Russia or whoever else. Uh, We've just all got to be so watchful. We have. So there was a case recently, wasn't there, of AI being used in the Indonesian election where uh, a key political figure who died 10 years ago was brought to life by AI to give out this message (laughs) endorsing a campaign. And the interesting thing about that was people, you know, they, they, they know that he's died, but there is still something in the human spirit that will watch that and go, oh, of course that's the kind of thing that he would say. Therefore, I'm going to believe this endorsement. He's dead. (laughs) He's dead. He's endorsing from the other side. So, look, we will get to Alexis in a moment, but we've got some fantastic emails, and thank you very much indeed for all of them. Off you go, sister. Well, I just wanted to mention the vexed question of Barbara and her behaviour at home. (laughs) Um, This isn't isn't a cat podcast, although there are times um, when (laughs) When you wonder. And um, I just never got to hear where is the email about whether Barbara needs to see somebody um, and whether you need to take her to an animal <laughs> behavioural specialist. That was, the, that was the gist of the email. It's not the only one, um, perhaps hinting that Barbara's had her chips. So what is the answer to that? Would you get professional help? Do you think I should? So I, my my canny solution yeah. has been to just shut all of the pets, all four of them, uh, in the kitchen come sitting room. They're just not allowed upstairs. Yeah. I did find myself saying out loud to Nancy as I left that Barbara's spoiled it for everybody. Barbara, you've spo- you've let yourself down. You've let the animal kingdom down. Um, well, can I just fight back with some animal? loveliness please so uh, you know how suddenly you see a reel on instagram i don't know why you're suddenly targeted by a specific thing i happened to see one from the koala rescue park or something (laughs) in australia and it was a koala who'd been had had to be taken away from its mother i'm afraid i I don't want to misgender the koala bear but it was a koala bear and it was being reunited with its mother after a period of separation by a ranger 
uh, in deepest, darkest Australia. And the koala bear was looking quite trepidatious at the idea of this reunion in the arms of the ranger. But what was what broke the cuteness quotient for me, just shook everything, was that the koala bear baby had its own cuddly toy of a koala. Bless. I'm welling up. The mum, when uh, she saw it, wasn't actually that invested. So I understand that there'll be more meetings to come. They're in the very early stages of that reunion. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether koala bears smell. If anybody's held one, let me know. But this was... It was so, so sweet. So the baby koala got to to keep the cuddly toy koala. Just clutching its baby koala. It's it's comfort koala. It's comfort koala, yeah. And I think I'm right in saying that um, this is probably before your time, but when I was growing up, we did have koalas teaching us road safety and they were called Tinger and Tucker. That is before my time. I was a member of the Tinger and Tucker club. So if there are any other old club mates out there, or maybe I've just fantasised about this, let me know. Yeah. So that's quite exotic, isn't it? Because we wouldn't do that now. We'd say, somebody yeah. would say that's cultural appropriation. You can't use koalas, can't use koalas, to koalas to in the UK. Teach road safety. I mean, they were omnipresent in Merseyside. You, you, <laughs> you really key into the koala. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, um, what would it be? Just a long tailed rat. <laughs> Beg your pardon. That's very common in London too. Uh, okay, so Barbara still on the, uh, well, she's on the naughty step and likely to remain there, but not being chucked out. Nothing like that is happening. No, it wouldn't happen. No, we're, we're stuck with Babs. Yeah. Uh, Babs Kebabs, Floof Maloof, whatever you want to call her. Obviously, I call her pissing Barbara. Right. Uh, should we get on to some serious stuff about yeah. 20-something mental health? Because yeah, we've that. had some really, really good emails on this. Uh, so I think all of these uh, are going to remain anonymous. But uh, we're really grateful, especially to the younger uh, participants in this podcast. That's not right, is it? Listeners. But oh, I think you are participants. participants. It's uh, a community. It fee. is a community. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Because uh, it's really good to, I suppose that's, you know, that's what we want to hear, actually, because that's what we were saying, isn't it? That, you know, there kind of comes a time when our viewpoint is a bit irrelevant and a bit patronising because we haven't lived through the same things that 20-somethings have lived through. So here we go. My disclaimer is uh, that mine is a view from a very London perspective, but in general, the anxiety that was described earlier this week is absolutely still a strong feature. Many startups and larger corporates do try to appeal to younger people with a safe space into which everyone is encouraged to bring their whole selves. They do this by offering free puppy yoga, breakfasts and chats with managers Managers, where it seems no topic is off limits, however personal. But in reality, this leads to confusion, oversharing, and companies even using information gleaned from employees in these safe environments against the trusting individual. And I've got a friend who, after she had tried to get a pay rise to match the average salary, was told that she was being too ambitious and, amongst some other questionable reasons, that she shouldn't compare herself to friends she has outside of work. This knowledge of what her friend's professions are was totally irrelevant to the evidence she had put forward to justify her increase in pay. That's the danger that I've sadly learnt of with trying to foster such safe spaces and I may have become too cynical in my mid-twenties but I almost wish we could go back in time by around 10 or 15 years where perhaps mental health was something people were aware of as having the potential to be serious but there wasn't an expectation that you should update your colleagues on your dismal dating life as not doing so would risk you appearing close closed off and unsociable. Uh, And our correspondent says and apologises for the email uh, which might have a negative tone 
Never apologise for that. That's kind of our set piece. I just wanted to give an honest opinion on how being a young professional can feel right now. I've had a really tough past few years in my job at a very high-growth startup where immensely long hours and weekend efforts go unrecognised, but any human errors are focused on to such a degree that it feels as though you must be the devil's spawn for having slipped up despite the multi-spinning plates you're forced to juggle. I hope they aren't all like this. Mm. Yeah, I do. I totally get the point that I think the modern workplace, not everywhere, but there can be mixed messages here. And I would just say to anyone, um, whatever stage of your working life you're at, no employer cares about you in the way you think they might, judging particularly now by some of the fripperies they'll hurl at you by a way of incentive or inducement. They actually don't love you in the way that your friends and family do. It's just a job. And try and re- just try and remember that. Because I think, you know, previous employers of mine, I felt that there was an emotional attachment, not just from me to them, but from them to me. It's bollocks. Yeah, the BBC doesn't love you back. That's it. <laughs> but, by the way, why would it? <laughs> what is it even? Uh, but, you know, we have, we've all been there, I think many of us, and have actually felt this. But I think there are, um, I'm not talking about the BBC now, but there are definitely other employers that will give you as many free lattes as you like. But our correspondent is completely right. Yes, and they can also terminate that Absolutely. contract with you overnight. There is another side to this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did upset one of our correspondents, and I'm sorry, I think you wanted to remain anonymous anyway, so I hope you don't mind that I'm not mentioning you by name. Um, but, uh, oh no, here it is. Uh, whilst I've listened to pretty much every one of your podcasts since you started and find you a huge comfort usually, I felt really angry and sad to hear the way that you talked about mental health in young people. There was a suggestion that us snowflakes consider ourselves special compared to previous generations and that if we didn't bring all of ourselves to work we might be able to hold down a job better and this felt belittling. I have many friends who struggle with mental health and it certainly isn't something they choose whilst you can't always see the struggle from the outside. I think it's important to trust the experience of people with mental health problems. Um, Now I would say to you that both Jane and I hugely appreciate that and actually I think one of the massive problems in talking about the story this week was that you have to constantly Uh, make that very, very firm divide between people who have a serious anxiety disorder and people who are experiencing anxiety. Yeah, very different. Because experiencing anxiety, which is what we were largely talking about, actually, is just something that you really do have to get used to in life. There will be no part of your life where, you know, disappointment, rejection, despair and sometimes real tragedy doesn't come knocking uh, so that's the bit that we were talking about. And and I don't think either Jane or I would ever want to dismiss somebody with serious mental health problems. Um, and, you know, we really welcome every experience that you've had to this podcast. So apologies uh, if that kind of landed badly. Um, but, you know, rest assured, we're not, we're not totally cynical witches. No, actually, no, we're not. You paused there for a little oh, too long. That's understandable. Are you going to have a choke outside? Yeah, good. He's God. going for a drink. God almighty. I don't want to catch anything. She's in her 20s. <laughs> um, oh, she's lovely. Eve. No, she is. They're, we've, they're all lovely. We're actually. surrounded by lovely people. I think they do love us here, Fee. <laughs> Who am I kidding? 
Maybe they are nice. Um, uh, this is from Anonymous. Uh, I was struck by your recent conversation about mental health back in the 90s compared to now. I was sectioned in 1993 when I was 17. Now, I needed to be in hospital, but it didn't always feel safe being a teenager on an adult ward. I believe I ended up there because the nearest available unit for young people was hundreds of miles away. Fortunately, I have never needed to be readmitted since then. I agree with the conversation you had with Caroline Quentin that a good psychiatric hospital should be a place of sanctuary. When all those big hospitals shut down, we lost their gardens as well. I do vividly recall being stuck in a stuffy and smoky locked ward. Back then, smoking in some parts of the ward was allowed. Access to a garden would have been truly wonderful, um, says our correspondent. You were discussing the Resolution Foundation report into young people's mental health. It talks about how young people's mental health is affected by their education and employment and I'm sure that my ability to resume my studies and have a career have both been crucial to my recovery. I am a weary perimenopausal woman but I try not to be cynical about young people. I do though have to bite my tongue at work sometimes. Um, yes but you know what I think wherever I've been whether I've been young, old or now basically, almost a record-breaking age. Uh, I've always had to bite my tongue at work. And sometimes <laughs> it hasn't been... I haven't even bothered biting it. I've just spoken out. Sometimes. Often. <laughs> yeah. Don't bite your tongue every day. Sometimes it's actually really good just to let it out. Yes, Jane is known to HR. Right. <laughs> Can I say, not in a bad way. No, not in a bad way. I found, I found the um, email about Barbara because it's from an expert, a retired small animal veterinary surgeon who says she's often asked for advice on the above problem, that's Barbara's, uh, which is horrible to live with due to the awful smell and the loads of extra washing fee. Uh, cystitis and UTIs need to be ruled out before other management is considered. Uh, behavioural modification is achievable in some, if not most, cats. <laughs> but it isn't easy and requires patience and persistence. Oh. My main reference was a book written by Sarah Heath. I wish I'd known this and I could have got this for fee for her birthday. Uh, Sarah Heath's book. Uh, Sarah is a very experienced and fully trained and qualified small animal behaviourist. Her books, Why Does My Cat and Why Is My Cat Doing That, are both available on Amazon. They were written 20 years ago or so, but the same advice is still appropriate. Although, if any ma medication is mentioned, that might have been changed or improved over the years. Well, thank you for that. And uh, I'm going to give it a couple of weeks of just locking them all in together. Uh, and then they're not really locked in. They've got access to a garden. They're absolutely fine. And, you know, they might they might all get on even better. They might. Yeah. I mean, there are some podcasts that specialise in smut and geopolitics. This one, we're following... Catwee. Catwee and whether or not Barbara does have a UTI. <laughs> OK. Uh, I'm going to lump in two really lovely emails together, one from Glyn and one from Celia. Uh, you talked in your podcast today about people not wanting to have photos taken of themselves. My parents died many years ago. I was an orphan at 24. I'm now 60. I have plenty of photos of them in a photo album, which I love looking at. However, what I really miss is the sound of their voice. I now struggle to remember what they sound like and I have no way of getting that back. I would highly recommend to people these days with the benefit of modern technology to use it and record your loved one's voices. Do you know, I think that I'm, I've been wondering about recording voices. Well, I was just going to say that's exactly what the Listening Project was there for. So in a previous incarnation back at the mothership of the BBC, um, that was the 
job that I did for 10 years, actually, and we were building this amazing, really amazing library of uh, people who knew and cared about each other, having conversations with each other. And so many people came into the project and you could talk about whatever you wanted to for exactly this reason, that they wanted to record for posterity the sound of their loved ones' voices. And quite a few people, because it did run for 10 years, they lost their loved ones during that time and they got back in touch to say it was just the most remarkable thing, that they could play to their grandchildren or friends or sometimes to themselves when they just needed a bit of comfort, yeah. uh, a really decent conversation uh, with their loved ones. And I think it's ne a neglected area, actually, of our uh, history, oral history. And I think because we're obsessed with the visual image now, uh, you know, we take pictures of each other all of the time. We do instas and reels and all that kind of stuff. But actually just the human voice uh, and a really, really decent conversation uh, is such a beautiful thing. And you can ask people, I think, in conversation when the cameras aren't on and nobody's witnessing you, questions that you can't ask anywhere else. And you can do it now on your phone. You yeah. just find your voice notes and press record. And get and, going. And get going. Do you think it's uh, a good thing or even a decent thing to record people when they don't know that you're doing it? No, I don't actually. Even if it's to your relatives? I don't think it's I'm fair. not talking about doing it in journalism. I'm talking about doing yeah. it for the old vocal memory bank. God, you see, I think most people really love to talk. I think they find mm. it easy to talk, so I don't think they'd mind being asked. But I think you, with your uh, older parents, should definitely sit down and do a chat because how extraordinary further down the line, Jane, you know, knowing what you've done for a living for uh, several decades. Yeah, well, quite a lot now. No, and interviewed so many people yeah. to not interview your loved ones and because your kids and their kids will love to hear a conversation with you all further down the line it'd be it, I, I mean Celia well, makes actually, the, the point that interviewing somebody who you love yeah uh, is is such a um i mean it seems like an odd thing to do but it's not odd it is an odd thing to do weirdly it doesn't appeal to me very much but it's a very good point i don't know why well, i don't really i think it's probably both, I mean, I'm, no, we can't really say it. My parents are completely in denial about being mortal. <laughs> well, but that's something you could put to them in a very carefully phrased question. I don't know how I quite know what. <laughs> anyway, um, which is probably uh, one of the reasons they're still going. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Believe in life. Yeah, just <laughs> ignore the alternatives. Just keep on waking up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't mean to. I'm not being dismissive in any way. But I mean, I think um, although going back to something you said earlier about AI. You wonder, I mean, uh, certainly our voices will be out there forever, won't they? There'll be no, and we'll be, be able to be constantly reinvented by artificial intelligence forever. Yeah. That's we, actually quite alarming, isn't it? We will. Everybody will. Yeah. But that was one of the huge points of the strike, wasn't it? The actor's strike. It was as much about, about AI yeah. as it was about pay. And, and all credit to them, actually, because they've spotted something. Uh, the acting profession, I think, and done something about it because it's now written into contracts, isn't it, that a studio doesn't own your image forever mm. and ever and ever. Uh, they've done something about it and our legislature hasn't. No, yet. Our, our legislature isn't uh, covering itself in glory at the moment. Oh, I mean, what are they doing? I don't know. <laughs> Seriously, what are they doing? I don't, I, I, it's, we're, at, we're at a very low ebb in British politics at the moment. 
Are, but we? change is on the horizon. It could be. Possibly. Possibly. But, you know, don't take anything for granted. Can I just say that if an astonishingly wealthy person is listening to this and wants to set up a foundation that does something, not called The Listening Project, but does something with interviews with people who love and care about each other mm. and then stores them forever for future well, generations, that possibility is available. Do call. Yeah, no, do call, because it's a really good point. But also, what is that thing that they... And I, God, I've done endless interviews about it. That There was that amazing drama with Victoria Wood, Housewife 49... Um, about a woman called Nella Last during World War Two, who had just written a diary, and it was part of this diary project that's still ongoing, and it's got a name. What Seven Up? No, no. Seven Up's the documentary. Sorry, Seven Up's the documentary. Um, this was seven years. Yeah, it was. Um, it's the. It's still going, and you can still contribute to it. Where they just pick a range of so-called ordinary people to write a diary about their experiences. And Nella Last was a housewife, I think, somewhere in Lancashire during World War Two, and she wrote about that. And then it was made into this absolutely brilliant drama with Victoria Wood playing the lead role. Um, I'm gonna just. I might just go and Google it. But I suppose that's something a little bit different, isn't it? Because that's um, that is yes, recording so the experience of the ordinary in a diary, yeah, which but, is never ordinary but when you read there's it. There's nothing that nothing no. is ordinary. But why can't we do it in vocal form? Yeah, and do that instead. Yeah, because there are so many great voices and great stories in Britain right now. Britain's a very different place to how it was. But oral history, I think, um, uh, and you wouldn't call Housewife Forty Nine oral history because it is it is written down history, isn't it? But but people are fascinated by oral history because the the sound of the human voice is always original and obviously onto it you place your own image of who it is who's talking. talking yeah. But there's something yeah. so distracting once you see the person. Uh, I sometimes... It's the bit that I don't like about the evolution of radio, if I'm honest. Just all the, the visuals attached to it. Takes away it. some of the magic, that's Yeah, for sure. I think there is something magic in just speech. That's it. Mass observation, which I, mass I think is still going on. Yeah. Um, it could be wrong, So, but somebody will know. Thank you. Uh, someone will know. Yeah. Definitely. Anyway, look. Um, well, that was a meander, wasn't that it? That wasn't it, but it was a lovely meander. And uh, yes, I'll just... I'll, shall I lead Dobbin the hobby horse back to the stage? That was like, that was like a really slow meander around the middle of Lidl. <laughs> on a very slow no, we found Tuesday afternoon. We found something very useful in the middle aisle. Episiotomies. <laughs> Penny in Nottingham. Uh, 13 years ago, she had a £9, 6 ounce baby boy, Jane. It was her first baby and she put all her trust in the doctors and midwives. I won't bang on about the long, long labour fraught with inconsistencies from the team, but I was in London at a time when home births were being encouraged forcefully. I didn't want one, but I was kept at home too long before being blue-lighted to King's College Hospital. The result was a lot of bleeding and a third-degree tear that needed surgery. Uh, two overriding memories for Penny, having a clipboard shoved in my face while being wheeled for surgery and asked to sign and accept a list of side effects I may now face, including faecal incontinence, uh, then as I was lying shivering, legs spread, waiting for surgery to begin, the song Sexual Healing played out on the doctor's radio. God. A nearby staff member flitted around my bed singing along. I can laugh at this now and often do. I was well enough to go home a couple of days uh, after and my massive son was perfectly healthy and still is. But you're right to say we're not given any information on episiotomies. I don't know if things have changed now, but I suspect not a lot has. It's an important subject to explore. Uh, it certainly is, Penny. And Jade and I were talking about this in the office uh, before coming in to record the podcast. Uh, and, and, you know, both of us agree, didn't we, that 
when when you have just given birth and you are in pain and disarray and all of that kind of stuff, it's just not the time for doctors to be no. telling you important things and asking you to sign important things. I just honestly can't remember what happened after the birth of my son. And I had a third-degree tear and, a, you know, a similar kind of experience. Well, it, um, a colleague was asking earlier what a third-degree tear actually means, so perhaps we should say that. So a third-degree tear is, uh, is when it goes all the way up to the tissue around your... Anal. Anal passage. 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 Yeah. Passage, Passage. I call it. So it, what, it, what it means is you've got to have uh, three layers of stitches. So right. it, is, it is, you know... So that's it's, why it's called third. Yeah, and right. it's and it's a, it, you know, it is a it is a big old thing, actually. It's um, euphemistically called a birth injury, but I think most people who experience it would say it's a trauma. Uh, and obviously it does take quite a long time to heal and it's very painful... Uh, and uh, for a lot of women, there are very long-term consequences because, obviously, as you get older and all of your tissues change uh, and lose a bit of their strength, there is a possibility, if you've had a really serious tear or the stitches just haven't really healed uh, in the right way, that you will always be vulnerable to, you know, uh, incontinence and faecal incontinence. Yeah. Um, I'm not a doctor, by the way, no, so right. I struggled my way through that chain, but I Just hope I've say, got it right. He is my doctor. <laughs> um, I really don't want to... If I've got any of that wrong, I'm yeah, really people, sorry. People, and people will tell us. Yeah. And Penny says, I'd like to confirm, I didn't ever suffer from faecal incontinence. I'm really glad you didn't, Penny. I've got to say, we did this on Woman's Hour when I was presenting it. The response was so overwhelming, we had to do it the next day as well. Because it was just... Because people just because don't talk about it. People don't talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, that's, Women's Hour is a great programme and it's one of those places where they do... But they can't talk about it every day. Um, but it, it's, it is so, so important to acknowledge that uh, there is help available, I think. I think there is. Uh, please don't suffer if you, have to, if you don't have to. At least, you know, find out whether or not you have to keep on suffering. But it's, God, it must be bloody... I mean, it's so restricting on your life if you're in that situation. Yeah. So utterly miserable. And I think Penny's point as well is is just that what you're, what you're told uh, around the time, uh, you know, just after birth mm. uh, is probably very, very compelling and important stuff about how to, you know, make yourself better quicker. And it's just not the right time to be telling... Uh, woman that and you know penny's been lucky and and i'll say you know for the record i've been very lucky too so i didn't have any you know really kind of long-term consequences of it but you kind of think well that is just luck because whatever it was that they said i should do or yeah. not do or pay attention to i just can't remember jane i also just think it's worth saying and i know we have medical people who listen to this podcast but um doctors or medical professionals in those circumstances they're at work they're doing their job. They're in work mode. And I'm not always completely sure that they're aware of the impact of not just what they say, but how they say it on the poor woman. It's a because woman you had a funny one, didn't you, with your cesarean <laughs> stitching? <laughs> My second cesarean. There was a bloke brought in from somewhere. I don't know. He seemed to sweep in relatively short notice. He was terrifically busy. And the only thing he actually said was, who stitched this bloody woman up last time? You just think, well, okay. Um, <laughs> hello, <laughs> behind the curtain, I'm, I'm still here. here. <laughs> and yes, you know, you are utterly lost in the wonderment of new parenthood for the second time around. And how fortunate I felt, by the way. It was a gorgeous moment, lovely. But still, bloody hell, what do you mean? 
What was wrong with what they did the first time? What would need doing now? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, that's what I mean about the impact of what they say and how they say it. Yeah. Because you just feel, you feel like a slab of meat. I mean, if it's having a cesarean, you're not really involved. You are an extraordinarily vulnerable because you can't feel anything. You, you know, you're just, you're awake. But and that's about all there is. So if you have two cesareans mm. or more than one cesarean, uh, do they make a cut in a different place? No, they go in again. In the same... Yeah. Oh, my word. I think so, anyway, yeah. I've only got one scar, I haven't got two. Okay. Gosh. Mm. Well, I'm surprised at that, but I suppose you don't want to look like the arts and crafts movement. <laughs> <laughs> Cause Maybe you do. Quite nice, because you could <laughs> have a tattoo of the child's name over the scar, couldn't you? <laughs> and then every time they get on your wick, you could flash your belly and say, Look, this is how I suffered for you. This is what I gave up for you. That. <laughs> and that's just a Wednesday morning in our house. So the funny thing about this is that quite a lot of our colleagues listen to this podcast and I wonder whether they'll look at us in a different way, James, when we walk through want the newsroom. I just want them to look at us. <laughs> oh, gosh, so it's Jane and Fee at Times.radio if you'd like to uh, share all of these things. And actually, Jane's made a good point there. Uh, that you. If you're a medical professional, actually tell us you know, from your perspective, uh, whether you, I don't know, whether you kind of consider that you are saying the right things at the right time or yeah. could it be done better? Yeah. It's Leslie Regan's huge point, isn't it? So mm. she is the, what's her proper title? She's the health, uh, women's health czar. So yeah. she says that the one of the big things that needs to happen is for women to have a health hub where all of the things that happen a one to stop you, shop. a one-stop shop. Yeah. So you're going to the same place all of the time, which would actually be helpful because then you know you're seeing people uh, who've kind of navigated uh, your your path yeah. all the way through. So. Well, I should say that we were talking on the radio show yesterday about this uh, Our Future Health project, yeah. which is the NHS thing, which you'd signed up to and which I decided on the strength of the conversation we had about it to sign up to it yesterday. <laughs> but, and I've now got this appointment where you get a kind of MOT and they go through everything. And I'm quite open to this, I'm quite pleased about it, but it was pathetic how much I lied on the questionnaire last night. <laughs> you about to, what? Well, I just, they asked my weight and I thought, well, I'll just be very... Um, I'll be approximate here because I'll try and ditch carbs between now and the appointment. See how I, know, I get that's, off. No, that's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> but that's just human nature, isn't it? We're all such bloody idiots. But they can help you more if you're honest. All right, I'll, I'll try and put weight on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So this is Fee's interview with Alexi Mostros, that's right, isn't it? That is. 
And uh, the podcast is called Who Trolled Amber? And it is an investigation into the troll farms and the bots and the people who are influencing our decisions. And Alexi and I started our conversation uh, by him reminding us of the sequence of court cases between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. So there were two main court cases, one in London and one in Virginia in the US. The one in London was in 2020 and it was the first case. It actually wasn't Depp v. Heard in that case. It was Depp versus The Sun newspaper or news group, The Sun's owner. And and The Sun had published a piece that basically called Depp a wife beater uh, and Depp sued the Sun uh, under under defamation laws. That 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 trial happened in London in in 2020, and a judge uh, ruled in favour of the Sun, and in a very kind of considered judgment, found that on the balance of probabilities, uh, Johnny Depp had uh, abused his his former wife Amber Heard on 12 separate occasions. So big loss for Johnny Depp in 2020 in London. But then at the same time as that was going on. Johnny Depp was suing Amber Heard directly in the US. This was because she wrote a comment piece for the Washington Post where she described herself as a a, a spokeswoman for domestic violence. But she didn't name Depp. Nonetheless, Depp said that this clearly referred to him and he took her to court. And that jury trial took place um, in the spring of 2022. And that, that was the big event that was kind of everywhere on all our social media. And Johnny Depp ended up winning that case because the jury decided that he uh, had been defamed by Amber, that Amber was basically making it up. How much online activity was there around Amber Heard and Johnny Depp in the UK court case? There was a significant amount of online activity, even back then. I suppose what I'm trying to get at is whether or not the very first time all of this goes to court, yeah. there is evidence that other something else is mm. happening around these two people, where it's not me mm. reading a newspaper going, oh, I think I'm going to post something about him or about her. It's something else. Yes, absolutely. I think that, that there were definitely signs back then that there was something weird going on. Like there was a lot of tweeting from accounts that had only just been set up or accounts that only tweeted about Johnny Depp and that's all they'd ever done. And people commented on it at the time, but that wasn't the focus of the case. So no one, the news news group and their lawyers didn't really put a lot of effort into working out if there were bots or not because they didn't have to. All they had to do was to prove, as a matter of fact, that Depp had abused her. So the the issue sort of rumbled away in the background until the US case. And then in the US case, Amber's lawyers went a step further and they did accuse Depp of mounting a, a global bot campaign against Amber Heard. But... The claim itself was a little bit rushed. So that that part of Amber's claim against Depp was thrown out. And that kind of meant that at the trial itself, the whole issue of bots couldn't be discussed at all because that it had already been kind of decided in Depp's favour. So what we did was we went back to one of Amber's computer experts who'd uh, collected this like huge database of tweets that had been posted against Amber Heard uh, in the run-up to the trial, but which had never really been analysed. And we took that database and gave it to two like amazing data scientists and experts in disinformation. And they came back uh, with, with, with effectively a conclusion that there was n- significant inauthentic activity within that database. And some of those statistics about that inauthentic activity are just mind-boggling. Even for 
you know, people like me who aren't the most techni technologically literate. So uh, just one example was an account that had posted something. And a lot of these messages included the phrase, Amber is not a victim. Yeah. And in one of these, uh, it was an account with very, very few followers. But this tweet goes out. It's retweeted 22,000 times. Yeah. Uh, there are only 11 direct replies to it. So the retweets are way out of proportion to you know, the number of people who would usually be able to see that tweet. So immediately you think, well, of course, something else is at play here. So that's what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And 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 the other, like, kind of shocking thing was that these examples were kind of not focused in one country. They were, they, we, we found bot networks, evidence of bot networks in Thailand, in Spain, um, in coming out of the Middle East. Either it seems like lots of people were trying to use inauthentic means to troll Amber or one person with quite a lot of resources was was doing the same thing. How easy is it to follow the trail of that kind of tweets and those kind of trolling? It's it's just not possible. No, and it's getting harder and harder. But but even more worryingly, social media owners like Elon Musk have really clamped down on the amount that journalists like me and researchers, disinformation researchers can can get data from the platform to like work out what what is going on. So identifying a bot is pretty hard. But, but then if you do identify identifying like who who commissioned it is like really hard. And the only way that we really managed to do it in this case was when um, the, the bots have been sloppy, when they hadn't deleted like previous information that gave us clues about who had commissioned them. So explain that a little bit more. Usually in bot campaigns, it, it, if you use accounts that have already been created, you try and wipe those accounts clean. So what we, we found this very interesting bunch of uh, pro Johnny Depp Twitter accounts online and, and that they're tweeting today. You can see that they tweet 20 times a day about Johnny Depp. They've got pictures of Johnny Depp everywhere. They hate Amber Heard, pretty standard for Johnny Depp fans, except that if you plug in their details into the Wayback Machine, you can see that they've deleted hundreds of other tweets and those tweets are all in Arabic, not English. And they don't have anything to do with Depp or any other celebrity. They're all uh, praising Saudi Arabia uh, or its ruler, Mohammed bin Salman. And that's really interesting because Saudi has like this very storied history in terms of using bots to uh, support its its um, its regime and disparage its enemies. It's it's what happened after the Khashoggi murder. All these like. Twitter accounts came on to online and said, oh, Saudi has nothing to, to do with it. And we, we took these Johnny Depp tweets to two experts in Saudi and Middle Eastern disinformation. And they said that the history uh, suggests that th these Johnny Depp accounts were once part of the Saudi government uh, bot army. Why would Saudi Arabia take an interest in a case between two Hollywood stars? That's li literally what I asked, right? Like, it's, it's the obvious question. But then you start looking at it and you're like, oh, okay, so uh, Johnny Depp's last two movies have been financed by millions of dollars of Saudi money. And then you look further and you're like, he's been in this country like maybe six or seven times in the last 18 months, film festivals, but also like tourism trips. And then we spoke to this guy called Bradley Hope, who's this brilliant writer uh, and author of a book about MBS. Uh, and and Bradley t tells us that that um, this kind of bizarre like bromance has uh, emerged between Johnny Depp and 
MBS himself, like they are actually friends now. Johnny Depp goes to stay on his yacht, like in his in his mountain like villa. It's it's a very bizarre situation, but it does seem I should say the Saudi government, the embassy didn't respond to requests for comment, but it does seem like they had like means, motive, and opportunity to help Depp online. I think anybody who uh, even had a kind of a, a passing glance at the cases between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard would say that there was quite a lot that came back at Johnny Depp from Amber Heard's camp. So is this investigating that too? To an extent, I mean, I, I didn't... So it's. I think it's definitely important to r- recognise that this was a sort of complex matrix of stuff that was happening online. And there was a lot of hatred definitely on, on both sides. I would say, though, that there is some kind of quite persuasive analysis to suggest that the amount of hate was primarily going against Amber. And, of course, what's really important in any case such as this is that a jury, because it was a jury case in America, is not swayed by information that is swirling all around them. And the important point to note in the case was that the jury wasn't sequestered. So, And that means that they didn't have to all just stay in a motel together and yeah. hand over their mobile phones. So what on earth could be done in future cases to control what seems to be a very out-of-control element of society and information? I mean, I think in a, in a, a narrow answer to your question would be like to be more careful about whether or not to sequester a jury in a, in a case like this where there's such a huge amount of, of online interest. Um, but I think it kind of speaks also to like a broader point, which is something that I've looked at in previous investigations, which is that sometimes our institutions in this country, whether it's the police or the legal service, are sort of one or two steps behind where technology is. And it would be nice if they caught up because then they could, might be able to kind of predict how some of this is going to play out. How much would it cost to employ somebody on a troll farm to do some serious, serious trolling against <laughs> somebody you didn't particularly like? Yeah, is that asking for a friend? <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Um, not much is the answer. Like I think that you could, you could, you could definitely buy some bots, some some unsophisticated bots for like tens of pounds rather than hundreds of pounds. And what is the process that then happens? I mean, we talk about bots. I don't really know what that means. Is it just a kind of algorithm? Are you just pressing a key on a, a, a keypad and off it all goes? It kind of depends on where... So you can go online now and you can pay £20 to buy a certain number of Twitter accounts and uh, then you can use those accounts to post whatever you want manually. So that's that's the kind of the base level. That's the easy stuff. If you wanted to... Go to like a digital PR operator like company. They might have contacts in in Mexico or in Israel that they could talk to that would do a sort of more sophisticated operation for you. Mm. It's terrifying, then, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I think it is pretty terrifying because it's it's really easy to do and it happens a lot and no one really knows. Like it's only when there's a leak or an investigation where like examples of it come 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 out. But um, it makes you think to yourself, well, like. I'm seeing all this stuff on social media. I consume news in a particular way. Am I being manipulated? Mm. Well, we all are, aren't we? 
So we just need to kind of check in with ourselves every time we read something. The key players, though, in this story, um, presumably you've contacted both parties, made them aware of this podcast, etc., etc. The response has been what from Johnny Depp's camp? Neither Johnny Depp nor nor the Saudis wanted to to comment. Um, we did have a response from Adam Waldman, who's this controversial lawyer for, for Johnny Depp. He actually got kicked off the case for leaking material to, to the press. He didn't answer our questions, but he posted little snippets of them online, uh, which in my mind was a kind of clear invitation to like the Depp army to, to respond on. to us, okay. yeah, to pile on. And and has there been a pile-on? Yeah, yet? totally, yes. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's what's interesting about the pile-on is that it's, it's obviously like directed at me because I, I did the podcast, but any uh what I mean this is just like a kind of you know an, an observation but any any uh, female journalist or commentator who has said oh I'm looking forward to this this is an important investigation has received a lot more abuse than the equivalent male commentator saying saying the same thing well it's an interesting point that you make right at the beginning actually of the podcast just about the different reaction that there was to Amber Heard and her career and her work opportunities yeah. and Johnny Depp we, we can't get away from the fact that he won a court case and, and it was a jury court case and to an extent you have to res respect that decision so if you're a Depp fan or even if you just kind of believe in jury trials in the US, then you could say to yourself, well, he's been exonerated, so all power to him. But it's always been a really worrying case, this, because he's, he wasn't exonerated in the UK. And a judge really, really kind of categorically went through the evidence that led him to believe that, that Depp had abused Amber Heard. So I, th I think that there's always been a big power imbalance in, in, in Hollywood and among Hollywood stars, and this, this is probably a representation of it. Alexi Mostros and the podcast is called Who Trolled Amber? I'll pop it in between your ears and give it a shake around and I think it just changed my perspective actually Jane mm. uh, on and it will forever now make me question a bit more when I see people's opinions about other women in particular yeah. on the Twitter. I quite like calling it Twitter because I know that that it's my tiny act of rebellion. Does that annoy Elon Musk? Against Elon Musk. He yeah. wants us to say X, I'm just going to call it Twitter. I think it was better back in Jack Dorsey's day. Do you? Yeah. You miss the Dorsey days. I do. Yes, OK. And I wonder whether anyone listening has been watching, as I have this week, uh, Channel 4's jury experiment show, Jury Murder Trial. Now, um, I, don't, I think there's probably a, there's a limit to what we can say about people who've been on juries because you're not allowed to discuss what goes on in the jury room after you've been a juror. But just in general, I'd love to hear what other people think about that programme because uh, we were talking about the way women can behave towards other women, I'm thinking of Amber Heard. Um, but also there are a multitude of reactions from the jurors in this show about the court case that they were trying. I mean, it's a TV show, so it's not real, except it's based on a real case. Anyway, I think it's really interesting. Let us know what you think. Uh, it is. What's the address? Jane and Fee at times.radio. That's it. Uh, thank you. We'll be back tomorrow. Goodbye.
Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, lady. A lady listener. I'm sorry. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com